Hello and welcome to the Ski Racing Podcast with me, Ed Drake. Joining me on this special edition of the pod are two Daves, Dave the Rocket Riding and Dave Smithers Smith. Uh, Boys, thanks for joining me. How are you guys dealing with a bit of lockdown? Rocket, why don't you go first? Dealing with, uh, well, quite fortunate that this is my downtime. Quite unfortunate that I'm meant to be getting married and going on a cruise around Asia, finishing in China. Not the best timing. (laughs) So while everyone seems to be doing Instagram fitness at home videos, I'm quite happy sitting on my sofa and doing not that much. Nice. Take advantage of your home gym. Yeah, exactly. What about you, Smithers? What have you been doing? Yeah, well, yeah, pretty much the same stuff, really. Just um, to be honest, like I've seen you guys before we came on, it's, it's almost like being in hospital. So I've kind of had a, a dry run of this. Um, so for me, it's, it's yeah, it's, it's life is not really uh, it to being the world's paralyzed at the moment. So when I woke up paralyzed in hospital, this is kind of what it felt. The first week was okay. I managed to read some books, chill out, get some sleep. And then after six months of still lying in hospital, things got pretty stressful. So it's, it's kind of almost very similar to that. So at the moment, I'm just yeah, getting up, sitting on the terrible for a few hours, having some breakfast, studying, and uh, and then actually making making time actually to be able to speak to people, which is very cool. I think uh, that's a danger. Everyone thinks they're so socially isolated. You got to self isolate, but actually, it's, I prefer the word physical distancing. And actually, it's a good time to connect with people. I remember the last time. It, Certainly, the three of us sat down would have been 2008, probably. Yeah, exactly. That's actually, that's very true. I think I've been way more social since socially distancing. Uh, I spent my whole time on this uh, Zoom calls and chatting to people, doing pub quizzes terribly. And uh, yeah, so uh, Smithers, why don't you give us a tiny bit of background for those that don't know, uh, that don't know you and also how you came to uh, be, be part of our lives, actually. Yeah, to know you guys, yeah, wow. Uh, so, so basically, I've, I've been involved in sport my whole life, from uh, karate, obviously, uh, athletics. Uh, I grew up in Aviemore in Scotland, so I grew up skiing with uh, the Baxters, with Finlay, Ross Gardner, all these guys. So I, I was always kind of involved in skiing. I wasn't very good at it, but I, I grew up in, in the mountains. <laughs> and then um, did sport my whole life. Uh, and then in 2000, I was all very good friends with Mark Tilston, and then we always sort of spoke about somehow me being involved with the team. Um, I was always sort of on the peripheral part of the team with, with the Scottish guys. And then I remember me and Mark were, were out one night having a beer, and he, you know, there's a there's a Noel sort of pointed there was a position coming up in the team as a sort of a coach coming along, helping out with the team. And I thought, you know, that's it. That, that's been an amazing job and an interview with Mark which is always pretty intense <laughs> and um, he's like yeah there's this position on the team so I remember rocking up to I think it was we were in one of the glaciers Kuta or something one of the glaciers in Austria was the, was the first camp that I, I, I think I met all you guys and then uh, yeah and then the rest is the rest is history after that really <laughs> um, we all formed a beautiful loving relationship <laughs> uh, so no that, that's kind of how I, I, I came into into your life yeah, and, and that's and, how um, and that's how Dave got the nickname the muscle. That, that's how he got the muscles, yeah. So yeah, when I turned up, Dave didn't have many muscles. Can I tell a story just from that first camp? I remember yeah. Dave rocking up, right? We're going up the glacier, and you know when you go up a glacier, 
you're closer to the sun, you need sun cream. It's pretty simple. <laughs> <laughs> well, Smithers being Smithers, just with his says, I don't need sun cream, I'm made for this. Struck down with some kind of thing on his face, full sunburn, didn't see him for a day. <laughs> I, was, uh, I was hoping you wouldn't remember that, but I, I think I did come to dinner the same color as your, as your teacher. Yeah. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah, and then, okay. so you, how many how many years was it you were with the team, David? Uh, I, I did just over a year. Um, I sort of... Um, I was, I was I was struggling because I think what was I absolutely loved it and I'd have probably stayed in it for a long time. But when I when I came in, I was still I still wanted to compete, and that that was still that was a hard transition for me. Um, like any athlete knows, when you come to that yeah, year yeah. that retirement is really hard. So yeah. you know, I all of a sudden I I was with a bunch of athletes watching them train and and living that passion. And I remember standing at the top of a course one day and thinking, God, I I want to I want to I want to be still competing. And it was it was that time I was doing some work with a with a physio who sort of then kind of opened up a door to Paralympic sport for me and and I, I decided to take it and, and leave the team and I, you know for me that was like the dream job I loved it it just probably came a little bit earlier maybe a bit too early for me um, and I think if I'd had a few more years to compete then I would have settled into that and and I would have absolutely loved it and for absolutely I would probably hands down say of all the sports I've done and and my time in sport. The time in skiing has probably been, just been probably my favourite time. Um, I really, really enjoyed, really loved the sport, loved the circuit, loved everything about it. And I just, uh, it, unfortunately, it was just probably a little bit soon for me um, in, in where my career was. I think if it came around, if I was fully fit and able to do something like that now, I think it would be, it would be perfect. Well, because then, yeah, yeah, because you learned, left the team, took up rowing, went to 2012, won a gold medal, uh, and then uh, switched over to cycling. That's where your passion still is, right? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's kind of weird because if I hadn't made that decision to leave the team, I would I would be dead now. Which is, is to put it to put it bluntly, um, that move to go to Rowan uh, was where they found that first tumor. So uh, when I, when I made that shift, obviously I went into training. Everything was is monitored a lot more closely with an athlete than as a coach, and then performances started to drop pretty quickly. And they started to ask some questions about that, which ultimately found the first tumour in 2010, which was two years before London. So, yeah, if I'd stayed that extra sort of year and a bit to go to the games with the team, um, I, I, would have pro- I, would, I wouldn't be sitting here speaking to you now. I would have, I would have probably died. The tumour would have grown. It would have crushed the, the nerves to my lungs and I would have stopped breathing and, and probably passed away in my sleep. So that move to Rowan, even though it delivered a medal, actually it, it, it delivered a lot more. It was the start of a... 10-year battle with with a with a rare sarcoma and paralysis and everything else but it was also um it, it also saved my life and so the medal for me is not such a, a, a big thing it was more it was more the experiences but also ultimately it saved my life yeah wow yeah puts puts everything in a little bit of perspective um <laughs> but your uh, love your love for skiing obviously still still lives on uh, and we're lucky enough to have dave Twiddling his thumbs up in back in Manchester. <laughs> Press, pressing uh, coffee buttons. <laughs> yeah. Loving his do that now. No, you're not allowed. No. I'm sure yeah. you Neil, bring your coffee machine home. I've got two at home. So <laughs> I've got enough. I wanna I wanna see you in your little barista's uh, apron and practicing your coffee out. Yeah. Well I'll still leave that to Mandy. <laughs> He's still better than me, so <laughs> 
Well, I hope so, because you're, you're away skiing most of the time. So. Well, it's not my profession yet. Not yet. Not yet. Um, but Dave, let, riding, that is. Dave, I have to try and keep calling you by your rocket. Let's go with rocket. Muscles. Uh, yeah, exactly. Muscle, Actual muscle. muscles. Yeah, well, now you have got some. <laughs> I've got some. <laughs> but uh, another cracking season, Dave. Um, you're allowed to say what you think. Eh? You're allowed to say what you think. <laughs> no, I, not, well, we'll get on to that. But what is, I've, got, I've, I've written down your highlights for the winter, and I've got... Yeah, uh, seventh Madonna, eighth in Schladming, 0.4 of a second off the podium. Um, Levy again sort of caused a little bit of a blip, but obviously belting first run yet again. Um, and a, another year inside the top 15 in the world in slalom. Um, what was your, what's your take on the season? Yeah, I mean, when you, when you uh, look at the grand scheme of it, finishing 13th in the uh, Standings was is pretty good. Um, it certainly didn't feel like I was the thirteenth best skier in the season. Well, obviously at Levy I felt much better than that until I uh, forgot about the outside ski or whatever happened. It was a fr- another freak one there, but um, yeah, it was a tough one. Um, very very tough to feel comfortable in myself. Um, yeah, I think it was. Uh, I didn't. Really, I don't really like. I don't hold back my feelings in the season. I say it how it is at least because it's just what I'm feeling. So uh, yeah, I didn't feel that comfortable, and so I just felt like I was really battling for survival and just trying to cling on to what I could. And then um, sort of towards the end of January, there before Schladming, started to feel comfortable again on figuring out some things in my skiing and setup and that, and then had a bit more confidence and at the eighth in Schladming, and then. Chamonix, I was 17th with a pretty big mistake on the second run. So I felt like I was turning the corner, but then obviously the season was over. Um, and yeah, 7th and 8th, but only two top 15s, whereas in the past it was like, you couldn't get me out of the top 15, whereas this year I was more towards 16 to 20, which wasn't where I was wanting to be. Um, Sailor B, I learned a lot again. and take that forward to next year. Uh, Smithers, chime in if, you, if you've got any, any questions for Davey Boy. Um, but I think, uh, I think in general, I was quite, I was quite pleased with it. I guess we live and breathe as fans of yours, as well as ski racing in general. We live and breathe your almost every turn, and I'm sure you feel that pressure uh, quite often as well. But um, it, I, I think it was a good season. You know, you you still have the speed, and I think that's probably the thing that keeps you driving forward is that you've definitely got you know, the skill and speed and technique and stuff to be beating those guys. It's just a case of trying to keep that, I don't know, momentum, tempo, whatever you like to call it, that, that confidence. And I think that's probably the only thing that seems to be sort of holding you back from really, I, get, I guess, getting back to where you were a little bit last season, if not the season before, where you were, you know, consistently looking at podiums week in, week out. Yeah, it was... Uh, I definitely had the speed. Um, it was just... I'd, with, with not feeling like my 100% com- I'm quite a feely kind of guy if something's not feeling right then it has a bigger impact on me than maybe some others just with the way I ski and how like, in terms of confidence confidence and also like I ski with a bit more feeling I think than others and a bit cleaner and I don't just hammer, hammer it on at the gate kind of like to build my turn and, and then have a like the turn done at the gate and releasing the ski whereas I couldn't really always do what I wanted to do or be as loose on my skis as I would like to be. 
so yeah it was just i didn't i didn't have that enjoyment in the racing because i didn't feel like i could put out always what i had in what i could have done so it was like yeah i wasn't always enjoying it which makes it hard in the first time okay it's my job and enjoyment's not it's not shouldn't, shouldn't be all about enjoyment but when you are enjoying doing slalom turns and you feel like you're in a position where you can attack put some risks down and compete where you think you should, where you want to then it's obviously a bit bit easier to go from race to race rather than just fighting from race to race to try and figure something out it's, it's very stressful mentally more than physically and how, how was training going was tra- was was that reflection in training or was were you skiing fast and well in training and it wasn't clicking in the race or was it a sort of similar similar thing in the training um it was up and down um some days i'd be really fast and then come three days later um it just wouldn't be working again for some reason on different snow conditions or i was just yeah i was very snow specific to certain things and then yeah just not i remember going to schladming and uh like kitzbühel i had a horrible feeling risked like crazy second run finished i don't know 22nd on a piece that has started to become good for me. Um, and then I did a belt to like half of run there, didn't you? It wasn't like half the run. You absolutely smashed it. I can't even remember. I've kind of, I don't know. <laughs> I remember the second run I had, I just had zero feeling on the, on the snow and on such a difficult piece you just get punished. But so then we had a real sit down literally Sunday night when we got to Sladming, had a real head scratch, me, Tristan and, and Jai. And we just said, right, we'll get, let, well, I basically said, let's just go back to last year, just everything back to last year. I did one run on the Monday. It was like, wow, that was easy. So I went to Sladming and Paul Telling was there because he's based 10 minutes up the road. And I said, I said to Paul, I said, watch, I'm back tonight. And, um, and I was, and it's, it's that simple. It's, it's so, because you're dealing with such fine things and, yeah. and, and we're only talking less than half a second over two runs to be in where you probably want to be. Yeah. Um, then these things make a huge difference. So yeah, it's, it, the whole the whole slalom, well, tech field in general is crazy, yeah. absolute madness. Where it's like this year less than a second, like, less than a second and a half to top thirty. It's just absolutely crazy. ridiculous. Yeah. I remember having those conversations with Noel and Alan, more so Noel, just about there's very few sports in the world that have so many variables. You, yeah. you can turn up, the, you can turn up the fittest guy in the world. And, and not have your luck that night. You know the snow might not fall on you. As we've seen in yeah. Spadman, there was a there was a there was a streaker this year as well, something new. But oh, yeah. you know there, there's so many variables in skiing. You know if you look at track cycling or, or that, very much quantifiable because there's so much you can narrow it right down yeah. just to so much watts on a bike. And you know, it was, and I think that's the beauty with skiing, and that's what like, that's why it's that's why it attracts such men. You know, flamboyant characters like Tomba and that over the years and. I think because there's there's this mystique about it. There's so many variables involved that uh, you can't just turn up there and even be the great skier. You need there's so many other things involved yeah. in that in that run. And like yeah. you say, the the separation in the top thirty is like it's so close. And you know, if you think back to 2007, we would never have dreamed that we'd be having these conversations now yeah. about Dave being Dave being like one of the greatest in the world, but not just one of the greatest in the world, but one of the greatest in the world at a time where we've not just seen We've yeah. seen phenomenal skiers, Christopherson, uh, Hersher, you know, so many, you know, Felix, all these guys that, you know, it's like almost like Andy Murray, the tennis, he's come along yeah. at a time where 
where where the performances are high, where where the where the guys you're having yeah. to meet are. And, and and for for me, one of my greatest sport moments in life was when Dave was leading leading Pittsburgh, and I'm sure he, he you know, that'll be up high in his. But when the camera the camera was going from Dave's face to Hersher in the start gate, back to Dave, yeah. back to Hersher. Yeah, sorry, sorry, Dave was in the start gate and then Hersher was at the bottom, yeah. you know, watching Dave come down and, you know, to think, I remember being there with Alan and, you know, thinking, well, Dave was, I don't even, I don't even think you raced that race then, Dave, when I was there with Alan in the slalom, probably not. No, I wouldn't have been in the Europa Cup then, yeah. And That's probably still racing Bryce Slope then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> probably like 200 yeah, yeah, but then to think, you know, you're standing in the start gate of Kitzbühel Lead, leading the first run in the start gate for me that's one of one of my greatest memories in sports seeing that and the way the camera caught it was beautiful and yeah and, you know how hard was that over there you're making it sound romantic almost said <laughs> i know i'm quite emotional <laughs> rocket, <laughs> I'll how, that in one knee next. <laughs> yeah. rocket how was that in the in the start gate i don't think i've asked you actually how, how yeah, was that weird. like in the build-up like post run when you're sitting around that in that cafe, sort of with your boots off, waiting for inspection for the second run, trying to keep your head together, trying to keep your prep proper. Like, how how was that whole mental couple of hours? It was the it was actually the whole mental like twenty four hours because I hadn't I hadn't finished kit school ever before. I never finished two runs, and that was the year where I just got myself into the top fifteen, and I was like, I need to do any any everything I can here just to pick up what I can. And I remember I slept terribly, probably got literally three and a half hours sleep. I managed, I managed to fall back asleep for half an hour between like 5.30 and 6. And I remember waking up feeling, actually, I don't feel too bad. I was like, I'm just going to get what I can. If it's four points, then it's four points. I'm not bothered. I wouldn't lose many points on the World Cup start list because I didn't have that many from the year before. So I was in a fine position. And I just remember watching the whole week before, I watched Fritz Dopfer on repeat. Because he was leading the first run the year the year before, so I was like, right, I'm just going to watch him and just see how he does all this, and then just try and do something. Then obviously I was leading. I was like, crack, I'm in the deep end. And then I was like, well, I'm just getting the same sort of feelings as I, I remember leading my first ever Grand Prix on dry slope at Hemel. It was exactly the same feelings. <laughs> stupid as it sounds, it was the same feelings. And I was like, well, and I said to myself, I was like, this is just the same feeling as that. Okay, it's just kids school and no biggie yeah, or whatever. Yeah, no, no, don't matter. Yeah, and I remember, <laughs> you were there, Ed, and I remember talking to you saying, like, i just got to do the same thing to try and just, and I was just focused on finishing because I'd never finished before. So my, my whole goal that day was to finish. So that's all I was thinking in the start. Even on the first run? Yeah. Even after the first run, I was like, I've, just, I've got to finish this. I've got to finish it. I was like, if I get a podium or whatever, great, whatever, I've got to finish. So I just kind of focused on myself and never once thought about the, what anything else was going on. The only thing that crept in the second run was halfway down. I heard an almighty cheer because you're about, you're less than five, you're probably five meters from the fans. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, well, I think I'm behind Hersher already. That literally went through my head. You over had that time. And well, I actually ended up doing the next gate classic, I think, or something. I can't remember in the middle. Yeah. Of that's, that's amazing. Yeah. So as, you, as, your, as your psychology changed slightly, you know, you speak about Kitzbühel there and you think, I just wanted to get down. I just wanted to finish. It was like Hemel. That obviously put you onto like a world stage with a, not even just ski racing fans, but then a lot of pressure from other people thinking, wow, you know, you're going to win. Does, does that, has your psychology changed a little bit now? Um, yeah, it's, 
it's hard to get so so focused like that i mean i, I do have it obviously um that was like a real on point but say when i was leading in levy two years ago or no three years ago it was very much like right i'm gonna try and win this like i'm gonna risk like i did the first run to win this um and then i fell over halfway down and i went with the same approach this year got a little bit further so <laughs> over the next two years i'll try and get it to the finish <laughs> <laughs> but how how does how does that play with your psyche now, Dave? Going back to Levy, because obviously you have to juggle the expectation from yourself probably more than the external. But you having to judge, you know, go there. People look at you because of your performances in terms of you know not necessarily over two runs, obviously, but over the, over at least one run that you are a potential winner. Like how do you how are you going to be able to judge that going forward in terms of like obviously two great first runs and two DNFs. Yeah, it's a tough one. Even like, because <laughs> it was also my, the, my first place I ever scored World Cup points. Every, everyone was like, Levy, Dave, whatever, good Match result. Match in heaven or whatever, yeah. Uh, yeah, but my best result's sixth and my second best is 12th. So it's not like, I mean, it's a good place for me because I've had a sixth in that, but I've had many a, many a result better than 12th in other places. Yeah. But because of the top, how it is, it's not even because it's totally flat. It's because of the terrain, like the rolls. And, and, uh, and I remember training there like the two weeks before the race with the Austrians. And there was just how they set one of the rolls. I was just, I just absolutely got so much time out of them over this roll. And it's because of Pendle. Pendle's got these rolls in it. So you really have to, I really know I've got to hit the backside of that roll or I'm going to be so slow on the flat. So I really learned how to go down the backside of a roll and then use the ski almost in the compression. It sounds stupid but in slalom. You get so much release onto the flat and you carry without that momentum because otherwise you're not going to get it back. Mm. Uh, but pressure-wise, yeah, it's, uh, it's a funny one because it, A, it's the first race, which so you're always going to feel pressure. And B, everyone knows it suits me. But... I've just never pulled it together. So actually, maybe I should just think my, my best result's sixth. And to be honest, I'm, I'm one of these skiers that's kind of a builder through the season. And if you look at the two years that I've been doing well in Levy and Fallen, ultimately I've struggled in the season to actually come away with a good ranking or whatever. So I've, I think I've just got to go there with the mindset of let's get the ball rolling. Let's have, let's just do some solid skiing and, top 10 is, is a good result rather than being like, I'm going to murder this and just it's focus so on my skin though. again. It's got to be so hard though, like yeah, trying, to work, trying to work out. What, talking what about it. And yeah. like I sat here talking to you last year saying, I'm going to risk more on that. I did in Levy. But then it just then, set you up for the rest of the season with more and more pressure. Yeah. And then Valdez uh, has always been tough for me. And again, it was tough for me. I had a good first run. I was an eight, but then, and then not great second run, and I was okay. I was at seventeenth or eighteenth, three tenths off ninth, I think. But yeah, that was tough. Yeah, you say three three tenths is is incredible. I think sometimes when people see results in a bit of paper, they don't realise how close three tenths is. But uh, obviously, right now it's not ideal situations. What you know, what's the head like? How how does a winter sports athlete? You know, you've, it's a long time. It's a long season out there, and now you've got to. You know, it's finished early this year, but there's, that means your off season is going to be a lot longer. Training's going to be different. You know, you're just going to be training in your garage, squatting on the 
the muscle squat rack. <laughs> what, what, you know, what's your yeah? How, you know, how do you, you know, how do you plan for that? You know, you're to 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 heart, you know, to come off some heart like what you perceive as maybe not the best season, and then get yourself ready for next year. The, the inner drive, the motivation. You've got the coffee shop now. Yeah, I mean, I, obviously, I was looking forward to coming back, doing a little bit of work in there, doing some barista courses, taking my mind off skiing and that and whatever. But obviously, you can't plan for these situations. But one thing for sure is when you have a tough season, it gives you free fuel to the fire. Um, it's always easier to be motivated coming off a season that you perceive not to be the best. And you're like, I'm going to double down again yeah. to try and figure something out. So I've, I've really got to do that. I'm starting fitness training probably soon anyway. So um, it's going to be a long off season and a bit unknown in terms of when can we go skiing? When can we travel? Will we, like if worst comes, worst case scenario, I mean, who knows if we'll start the season in November. I mean, you just you can't, I can't really plan much other than, right, let's start getting myself in good shape um, and make sure if we are, say, allowed to travel in August or whenever it is, be able to be like, right, we can go tomorrow or the day after to start, start the training. And I'm not, I'm not panic. Still go through the right build-up. You might have to, obviously, Ramp up, good days than I have done in the past. But, yeah, I'm 33. I know how to um, yeah. bring myself up for a race. But yeah, it's the total unknown, and and it's it's just a different challenge, isn't it? Yeah, yeah absolutely. I think it's like control the controllables, I guess, in, in these yeah. situations. It's probably, it's probably going to affect the younger athletes a lot more than Possibly, it's yeah. an old 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 smart head like yourself. I guess maybe the younger lads will, will, will struggle a little bit more with this. Maybe yeah. I mean, obviously, I was I've looked well, not lucky. I I knew the power of having a gym at my house, like since I was twenty or whatever. So I, as soon as I was fortunate to get my own place, I instantly put a squat rack and lifting platform in my garage. So now it's like, well, I didn't plan for this, but it's, it's obviously going to be gold dust for me because the gyms are closed. How long are they closed for? And that sort of thing. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, control the control goals and make sure I'm doing the basics because when you start trying to do things too fancy, you forget the basics and then it all goes to pot. So I'm a big fan of controlling what we can control and doing the basics um dave smith before we before we sort of start moving into a couple of other little topics i want to chat about um what was your what was your highlight of the winter in terms of ski racing what was what was the moment that stood out for you this winter yeah um wow i've, I've been pretty impressed with clement noel coming through um i i think that you know seeing him i think for me i think with hersher disappearing this year um, I was probably like a lot of people thinking, oh, could Dave, could Dave get in? Could Dave get in? Um, and I didn't want to, you know, I think that's a, a lot of unnecessary pressure to put on someone who's already mixing it with the best. Um, definitely missed Hersher. Um, I, I was a, a big fan of his skiing. Um, but yeah, I think for, for me, it was, it was cut a little bit short. Um, I, I, I was actually in Jamaica when a lot of the skiing was going on, so I was a little bit disconnected this winter. Uh, I spoke a lot with Noel and what he was doing and with, with Alex and it was good to see the girls do pretty well, you know, the girls starting to get some results. I, I also was really really stoked for Laurie. I think Laurie was starting to have a bit of a breakthrough this year and it was, you know, starting to see some exciting things from him. Um, but yeah, pretty gutted that it ended the way it did. Um, and, and, and again, I think for, yeah, for, for me, I think it's, it's exciting to see, you know, what, what Clement Noel will do. He's a young lad, so I think seeing him again 
rock up this season and, 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 and ski the way he did was, was pretty impressive. Yeah. But I think, you know, bring it back to a British thing, I, I was kind of, I was, yeah, it was good to see Laurie, Laurie skiing a lot better. And I think he's, you know, he's benefited. And I think when you guys were on the team and I was there, you know, we benefited from Alan skiing really well. And I think, you know, again, now Dave coming along and showing that it, it's possible for a British guy to get up there and mix it, it gives these youngsters yeah. a lot of hope. And it, it was it was good to see, you know, like again, like you feel like Charlie Raposo and all these other guys start, you know, starting to hear other names, you know, starting to peek through and, and, and experience some World Cup exposure, I think was great. And, and that's always, you know, I, I, I'm passionate about the British guys doing well. And, and it was great to see some of them coming through. Rocket, how do you, how much awareness do you have about sort of, the team, obviously, you and Tristan and Jai and Ali sort of most of the time are traveling together and Laurie sort of dips in and out with Jai. But um, how, how much awareness do you have of, of the whole sort of team around you? Because it's, it's quite, you guys are quite dispersed sometimes, though, aren't you? Yeah, we are dispersed, but we're all, we always bump into each other around Austria or places like that. I think, well, firstly, I, I'm, we had four people score World Cup points this year. I'm not sure. That's obviously a big step. I'm, yeah. I'm not sure if we've done that before, like when Noel Allen, maybe Johnny Mulder-Brown and Lloyd's maybe right. Shemi in the same season. I'm not yeah. sure we've had more than four. So it's, it shows that British skiing is back in a good place. And there's certainly a crop coming. Um, I see them quite a lot, the, the others as well. And obviously, Laurie's been with me the last two years now. Um, I just re- I remember like when Dave mentioned there about learning from Allen. And there was a season where um, I wasn't actually with Alan. It was, I think it was 2008 season. But um, Andy, Noble and Noel both got injured. And um, I was still classed as an all-rounder doing, <laughs> doing Europa Cup speed. <laughs> Were you? Second last in, in um, somewhere. And second last in Santal. And then all of a sudden they said, right, Dave, you can go with Alan. And the amount I learned from the three months with Alan and just focusing on slalom was, it was unreal. The amount, just, just being around Alan um, and just watching him, learning from him, what he did off the slope more than anything, like how he was. All that professionalism slope. and stuff. Yeah. And just the, the way you, like the way he, he acts, like was very precise with what he wants in his material. Um, yeah. Just everything. And it just opens your eyes to what professional athlete is like and even though the next year again I was classed as an all-rounder um, <laughs> I, just those three months with Alan was absolutely huge never mind him getting the medal in Salt Lake like lighting the fire so um, yeah hopefully that that effect is there now yeah I think I, I mean I think it's you're exactly right British skiing seems to be in a place that it's that it's certainly not been that I can remember in terms of that depth I mean obviously you had Alan and Noel and Shemi and and Rog and Finn and those guys. But I don't know if it all happened at the same time like it seems to be happening at the moment. And with so many young athletes, apart from yourself, um, really pushing through, <laughs> it's, kind of, it's, it's super exciting. And I guess the thing is that those guys are all, look, all looking towards you in reality. There's, and, and that sort of must bring its own sort of boost, but pressure again at the same time. Um, yeah, there's certainly, I wouldn't say pressure. I don't know. I, I guess they look to me. I don't, I don't go around thinking these guys all look to me kind of thing. Uh, I just do my thing. The elder statesman on the team, Dave. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
Yeah. Wise fox, no. <laughs> um, and yeah, I, I like try and do my bit to help if they need it. But I'm I'm also a big believer in uh, like them figuring it out for themselves. Me not putting unless I think someone's doing something blatantly wrong. Um, then I think they've got to learn their way as as much as me sort of not telling them what to do, but pointing them in the right direction. Because until they have that light bulb moment for them, they won't fully commit to that sort of path. So I remember that with me was like certain points in my career, the light, the light bulb would go on. And I'd be like, crikey, yeah. And then you double down on something and you move forward. And no matter if someone tells you you should be doing X, Y, and Z in your fitness or whatever, until you really believe that that's going to help you, yeah. like you can go through the motions, but until you really believe it, that's when you'll get the, the next percentage out of yourself. And I think you nailed it in the head there when you said you learned a lot from Alan off the snow as well. And I remember years ago, I was having a conversation with, with a guy who had, who'd won a gold medal Olympics. And he said to me, one of the biggest things was like, do you know how to win? And I was like, well, what do you mean by that? And he's like, well, do you know exactly everything you need to do, the actual work that you have to put in? And you know, when people see the turn on the TV, they'll, they'll see you skiing and getting these results. But the actual work that goes into that, I think sometimes for the younger athletes, they don't always see it. And it's not just about skiing. It's, not just, it's about everything you do. Everything you do, every level needs to be world-class. Your rest, your recovery, your nutrition, your your It's a whole package. And, you know, and I think... Your, your testament to that ever since you, you've always been an athlete who you know who gave everything you know you never left any stone uncovered you know you were always 100% in your fitness your nutrition you were always on the ball with most things and I think it's testament and you should you should be proud of that that you know you, you've managed to put the work in and it, these seasons are long it's a skiing's a tough sport you don't just turn up and a pair of skis on and, and, and mix it the best in the world and I think for the younger guys who, who you know tune into you week in and week out they need to realize if they if they want to follow in your footsteps you know you've shown that it's possible Alan showed it was possible if you go all the way back to you know, people like Conrad these guys showed it's possible to get up on the podium but these youngsters need to know that it, it there's a lot a lot it's a, it's one a lifestyle yeah it's yeah, not, it's, it's not it's not just a one-off, and you'll know that as well, Ed. You know how the amount of work that you put in, and then but to take it to that next level. Yeah. You, you know, you can have all the talent in the world. I've seen a lot of talented people over the, over my lifetime, you know, on snow and off of snow, who maybe just didn't have that that little burning thing that wanted to take it that extra step. I really, and, and that's I think it's that's grit. hard. Yeah. It's that grit, that 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 really wanting it. Yeah, and you know you you'll see that with a lot of kids, you know, who'll come out and ski in the academies and that, and they'll have bags of talent, and they could be amazing, but they're just that little something, just that little grit that's inside all, them. So, so I feel like it's almost like a dogged determination. That sort of yeah, you know, uh, every little ounce of thing, and I'm going to dang, you know, grab onto this, and there's no hell, no way in hell I'm letting go. Yeah, exactly, and and you know and. And, and you know, and, and skiing is a high risk sport. The injury, when there's, you know, every time you step on the snow, injuries, injuries at a high risk. And you know, and if you have the bad luck of an injury, then obviously that cuts it short. But I think that, yeah, the, the nurture and nature over that sort of real that I want this more than anything else. And and that's where a lot of kids, you know, when they, when you're in, you're inspiring all these. I remember I was going up a chairlift in Alps, the US, not long after my surgery, I'd gone back out to try and ski. And I was on the chairlift, and this young kid was telling me about Dave Ryden. 
And I say, I say, how are you enjoying your holiday? And they were like, oh yeah, we we got inspired by by skiing, watching Dave Ryden, and this little kid is like Dave Ryden. And I started smiling to myself, and I thought, well, that's really cool, you know. And so if only you'd gone. Yeah, it's like you know, you didn't you didn't remember when he had no muscles. I remember when his suit was hanging off. <laughs> but um, you know, it's just I think you know, if your kids are tuning into you, and like you say, you know, they've got to find their own way. But one thing they've got to know is that it, it takes a lot of work to get to where you are. And, and that's not easy. So, um, you know, a testament to you to be able to put the hours and the work in and the, all the time away from home. It's, it's um, you know, people only see the real glory side of skiing down in front of your 30,000 fans. But there's, a, there's a lot of work from you, but also the team, you know, from Jai and Tristan and all these guys as well. There's a lot of work goes behind the scenes to, to get you in that start gate. Um, Rocket. Yeah. With with the whole Corona scenario and obviously the season being cut short, not only did it finish the World Cup season prematurely, but it also has hampered the sort of crucial period of training that happens uh, post-season before you go on break and all that sort of technical work. And um, I'm not, I have no idea if, if this was related to you or not, but obviously other athletes go through, you know, equipment stuff. They look for changing stuff or they look for trying to find new things in terms of, because obviously they've got their hands on the new gear already for the next season. How, how much time is lost for those that don't know in, ter- in terms of sort of pre-season work already lost? Um, yeah, obviously this year you, we, we've done even before the last races, so... I didn't even get a chance to try sort of new things for next year, which you would sometimes get a chance to do. Um, I personally wouldn't, I'm well, normally I'm already skiing in June. So I have a lot of time to just put different things on. And even if I'm not always equipment testing, um, I'm just feeling things on the skis and I'm feeling what's right and wrong. So normally it's not a big issue. Um, it starts becoming an issue. Well, everyone's in this, if everyone's in the same boat, which I can, um, then if you're trying to change things coming into the, a race and you don't have much time, then you're going to find an issue. Um, so, like, I doubt I'll be doing much testing before the first race. I think it'll be very much the same setup if we can't ski much. The other problem will come, say, for instance, we can't travel. Um, but say, for instance, everything's open in the country. We're just not really allowed to travel or not allowed to go into certain countries. Whereas, say, the Swiss were doing the same and the Austrians were doing the same. The Swiss have the glaciers, the Austrians have the gla- Italians have the glaciers. That's when it'll start becoming a disadvantage, whereas I'll have chill factory. And, and I'll go there. I'll start doing stuff in the chill factory. I'll definitely, no, no problem. But it's, you, can't, you can't ice it, you can't water it, you can't test on it, you can't do any of that. So that's when it'll start becoming a disadvantage if they're, like, if they're able to get into, say, a normal pre-season as such. Um, whereas if we can't travel, then it'll be like, that's when I'll be like, mm, this isn't ideal. But at the same time, it's just a, it's just a challenge. And yeah, I, I don't mind a bit of adversity. Being British, you're never going to be on the same level playing field anyway. So Exactly. Don't with it your whole career, mate. I might be able to make a cool story out of it or something. Exactly. <laughs> get, social media. get working on your social media, Dave. Yeah, I might get a YouTube channel. I might do it. Do it. You should, you should get yourself a set of grassy skis. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Get rollerblades on, Dave. Get, get on your rollerblades. <laughs> I've actually got rollerblades in my programme for next week, but then I was like, not sure this one exercise, if you want to use that for a day, will be 
looked upon that well if I'm doing a half an hour rollerblade session down the back lane. People might think, what the heck's he doing prattling about in his blades when I think I think you should get some get yourself some cones, get out on your on your driveway got and out, I've got them. <laughs> I want to see an Instagram video of you doing setting up a little slalom. Get your get your uh, scope out so you can measure distance. Uh, get get a video of Tristan shouting in your ear and uh, and get cracking. Yeah, don't I, think, I, think, I think that's a great idea. <laughs> full suit, I want to see it all. Yeah, yeah, full suit, goggles, I'm not massive on the old social media, but if I do it, I try and make it a little bit cancerous. Let's do it. Let's do it. Um, so, in terms of that, Tristan uh, and the powers that be at GB Snowsport will be looking at various, well, I guess mostly Tristan will be looking at various different plans. Um, in terms of uh, what's it? What is it? In terms of I don't know what you're allowed to do. Let's say as and when. Um, what, what originally were you going down to New Zealand? Were you going to stick with glaciers before all this kicked off? What was sort um, of game plan, plan? A would have been to stick to to Europe again. Went to Ushuaia last year, same as I did like three years ago, and it was decent. But yeah, with just doing slalom, I think. Europe, as, as long as the glaciers are okay. Um, if the glaciers are looking really bad, then sometimes you've got to travel. But well, they, should, they could be okay, shouldn't they? Because they'll, they'll have so much less skiing on yeah, them. Do you think? It depends what happens in um, in June. Say we're allowed to go on glaciers again by July. It very much depends on how June is. If June's really warm or really uh, and raining, then the glaciers really get punished. Yeah. Certainly for August or going into September. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, it's just uh, ideally we'll stay in Europe. Is the plan? Yeah, I guess it's almost just wait and see, really, isn't it? Sort of, I guess, write a skeleton program like the World yeah, Cup's going to go ahead. Yeah, yeah, we write a program and then right, we can't do the first camp. We'll we'll have to change things a, a bit because I was just chatting earlier, just saying like like even if we can't go skiing until September, I want to make sure that we don't just jump into gates. We've got to do some kind of build up not just get scared and panic and we've got to get these gates it's not that's not the case I think be smart about it keep the head screwed on and yeah okay maybe levy won't be as ideal prep but at the same time that'll take pressure off so yeah (laughs) no it it sounds like you've got a really good uh, psychology about it and that's definitely good to hear I I was speaking to one of my mates who was sort of on the plane to Tokyo and that's what he said he sort of said you know the guys who deal with this the best will, will probably go the best at the games and I think it's kind of like it's, it's good to hear that you're you're in a real good headspace because I think maybe a lot of under experienced athletes will be stressed they'll be like I've got to get back in gates I've got to get in gates I've been off snow too long and you know that anxiety will increase and I guess like you know, Steve Pierce talks about the chimp the chimp will take over It'll start freaking out, and I think that's something for you know for the guy for the younger guys who are who are sort of watching and following you is like you know don't, you know don't panic you know this is something yeah. that's so out of control, and yeah like don't rush it get back at the gates I've got to get into gates yeah. and you know sort of uh, I, I I'm yeah I'm sort of impressed with your mindset around sort of rolling with the punches and and, and taking it as it comes and I guess as Steve says yeah. you know controlling your your chimp seems to be well managed. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's totally out. Of- my control so like if i turn up at levy having done two days training then i've done two days training and that's what i've got to deal with it's like then lots of other people might you know yeah like i might be in a bit of a worse situation than like i said if the austrians have been training in austria but 
say la vie, that's what you dealt with. If I, if I go there panicking about only having two days skiing, then that's not going to help. So. No, exactly, yeah. Yeah. And you know, and, and it's like you say, you know, I, I'm so impressed because you say it like it's quite an easy thing, but there'll, there'll certainly be a lot of athletes in lots of sports who are who will panic. You know, yeah, they, they can, won't be. A, they I can only imagine that. what some athletes were thinking before Tokyo. Like, yeah, until they cancelled the games, some people, and even like people that were on for gold medals, they've been absolutely stressed out their head. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like you, yeah. you see, you know, one of my one of my good friends looks after Katarina Thompson. You know, we're talking about how how do you train for a heptathlon when you're when you're stuck in your house? And I think that's where the IOC I mean, they were they they couldn't leave it. The four weeks they were trying to leave it, they had to make a decision. Yeah. And I think it was for the mental health of the athletes because yeah, you think, yeah, they had to. If you're going to games in like three months' time and you're you're sat in your your living room trying to you know, to work out how you're going to train. It's, it's, it's ludicrous. And I remember seeing one of the judo girls in Scotland, you know, she was just out in her garden throwing kettlebells around. And it's like, this, yeah. this is insane. And it'll, you know, it'll be hard. It'll be hard. There's a lot of guys that are probably going to win medals there this year that might not even make it next year. But yeah. I, I think that's, that's the hard that's thing, important. isn't it? Yeah, that's the really hard thing. You just don't, for some athletes, it's the worst possible scenario because they're peaking right at the right time. You know, maybe the, the following year, that body's not going to be in as great a shape just because of where they are in terms of their, you know, athlete profiles and stuff. But for yeah. some athletes are going to, you know, be onto a winner uh, and potentially Dave, you, you could be, lo- you could be looking okay, right? Yeah, possibly. Yeah. Plus there's still some, some, uh, smoke in the old engine yet. So no, yeah, yeah, I, um, yeah, no. So I, I left British cycling, uh, last, last year. I, I was set pretty on, un- pretty hard unrealistic targets I think uh, to, to off the back of radiation I went through seven weeks of radiation every day and radiation is a great thing but it's also a very tough thing and I was getting radiation from here down to sort of mid chest so it was it was a pretty evasive place to have radiation every day for seven weeks and the fatigue that follows that is is, is, is brutal and um, Tokyo for me was definitely off the cards it was definitely a no-go and I sort of called it a day and was going to go and do some other things and then obviously the games get moved and on the day the games got moved I had a phone call with my surgeon that morning who told me that my scan was stable and the tumour wasn't growing so for the first time in 10 years I had pretty good news which was great and then I turned on the TV and they said the games have been postponed and I was kind of sitting there kind of shaking going oh yeah this is pretty good <laughs> I feel ashamed for some of my friends who were on for gold medals but for me it kind of created a window of opportunity and and that's not that's not going to be with Great Britain. It's, it's going to be with Jamaica. Um, I've, I've got a, a link with Jamaica cycling team and a, an opportunity there uh, to, to build something. And there's a there's a small chance that um, I'm not really going to hold on to it too much. Um, but there's a small chance that that, that that I could end up in Tokyo competing for Jamaica, which is uh, for me would be. Would be just a cool experience for for me now. I'm not I'm not chasing medals. I'm I'm just savoring moments and experiences to enjoy. I, I can't train like I used to train. I'm, I'm not the athlete I was. But if if the opportunity arises that I can go as a, just just to make the games, that that would be that would be awesome. And that that's not going to happen under a British team. Um, but under under a Jamaican team, there's a there's a chance for me to to get there, which would be pretty cool. Oh, yes. 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 Yeah. Well, every we'll every cloud has its own Exactly. Exactly. So, and and, that, and that's the thing is that's why I realised it is only sport. 
And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's so important to a lot of people. And you can see that right now with, with, with no sport going on in the world. You know, sport plays a, a massive thing in bringing people together and breaking a lot of barriers down. But um, at the end of the day, it is, it is only sport as well. And, and we have to remind that. And then Dave touched on it earlier on, you know, about the enjoyment factor of it all. And, you know, happy athletes are fast athletes. There's no doubt about it. It's you know we don't we, we should be enjoying this and we can only do our best and any athlete like that. But the, the minute you're not enjoying it, you've kind of you know I, I've been close to dying quite a few times now and I've had to fight for my life in ICU. And the only thing we've got at those points is memories. You know we don't we don't have our medals and our cars and all that with us. We just have memories and memories are created through experiences. And ultimately those you know that we've all been lucky. We've all we've all been lucky to compete for our country and go out there and do what we love to do and, and I think sometimes we take that for granted and, uh, and we, uh, but you've, you've got to enjoy it when you have the opportunity because you, you don't know and you know when that can end and you know and I think that when Dave said it this earlier you know when he's happy he's going to ski fast there's you know there's literally no doubt about it if you're not in a good headspace then then you're not enjoying it and it's going to be a lot harder for things to click. Um, on, a, on a slightly different point i was talking to an old coach of mine uh, and we were talking about the whole global sporting scenario that we have going on right now Uh, how how worried are you both uh, as athletes as competing athletes and dave obviously you're you're smithers you're you're obviously in that group um with the fact that there isn't an awful lot of doping testing going on at the moment is is that something that that you're you're concerned around because obviously the fact that nobody's you know not you know threatening to knock on your door uh it, for, for those athletes that are looking to try and cheat and take shortcuts and and uh and ruin sport those opportunities are all of a sudden wide open wow you know that's actually something i hadn't i hadn't actually thought about it because i was sort of kind of dealing with the the, the tumor stuff and the cancer stuff so that's a yeah, it's a good it's a good point. And um wow, you know again that's like they say that, that that's such an uncontrollable. It really is. And I, I have no idea how WADA would work gonna police this at the moment. That's that's a big it's crazy, uh, isn't it? Uh, yeah, you know, that's something actually yeah, I've not actually thought about that, but yeah, it's that's a that's a that's a big challenge. Yeah. Yeah, it's something that like I'm on the whereabouts scheme, so I have to put down every day where I'm sleeping and then also on a day I've got to give an hour where I'll be um, so every day I right now I'm like 7 a.m. I'll be at home so they can come and test me at any point between 7 and 8 and I have to be here um, I kind of test you right now because that's social distancing yeah, well, exactly. distancing so we had an email about it from I think it was from WADA or UK anti-doping because it had gone through my mind I was like for sure people are going to be taking advantage of this it's for sure yeah yeah you can't i'll guarantee there's a skier out there somewhere like oh lucky 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 days i'm getting right into this yeah um but they 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 send us an email saying you know testing can still happen um obviously it's um less testing going on because of the social distancing but yeah it's Mm. down to athletes morals it's down to yeah i mean hopefully they're still good they'll catch someone if they can catch someone, it'll put the 
other people. I, I think I think I think one of the biggest issues being is that we obviously, without naming any countries, we know the countries that are that have a, a track record where WADA can't travel at the moment. Yeah, You're, we're kind of we're kind of relying on internal anti-doping. So we know that UK anti-doping are all you know they're they're legit. They're very on their testing regimes. I mean, I was tested I think ten times before London. Um, but if we're looking at some of our countries that we know that are yeah. That are always this sure. cloud hangs over them. This is a this is a, an opportunity for them not to because international testers probably won't be able to travel. Exactly. I mean, there, there is so, the good thing about the biological passports now. So every time I'm test tested, okay, at a race it's different, but every time I'm tested, I take blood as well. So if, for instance, I was to go crazy, um, it would show up in my biological passport. So yeah. that's a good thing. Um, but yeah, like skiing is at least, I always say in skiing, for sure there's someone doping. However, you've still got to be able to ski. It's a skill-based sport primarily, and then you have to be fit. And yes, if you dope, you'll be able to train more, you'll be able to get stronger and whatever. But at the same time, in slalom especially, it's massively skill-based. In cycling or running or any sport where there's, it's a close oh, yeah. skill and it's like cycling so dependent on that engine, yeah. And so much money, yeah, it's going to happen. Yeah, it's kind of scary. scary. I was just thinking, you know, we were just chatting about it, and all of a sudden, I hadn't really thought about it. And we were just talking about the whole—I don't know—just changing global landscape of sport. And you're definitely going to get people that are going to go right. This is, you know, my opportunity to really do a number on everybody else, especially the ones that already try and push push the barriers. They're going to be the ones that are like. Green line. And you know, you, you talk about you know changing global sport. That this this whole this could have a massive impact on global sport. You know, I, I was actually just looking at the the budgets that NBC had sold the the sponsor rights for the Olympics in Tokyo, and it was it was into the billions. And you kind of you kind of wonder, you know, when we come out the other end of this, if it's if it is a long time, what what's that landscape going to be like? Just for you know, for sponsorship for athletes, you know, there's I know I'd signed a sponsorship with a company and they, they can't deliver their sponsorship anymore. Yeah. You know, there's 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 a whole host of what what's it going to look like on the other side for this? You know, well, I think like, it, there's a lot of sports that that could that could disappear. I mean, even, yeah, even yeah. established sports like rugby. I was listening to one of the rugby podcasts the other day, and they were talking about how all before the corona stuff they were talking about how there's like rugby union in in south africa and australia and stuff was was finding it difficult and that as an example and they were saying how you know there there could be so many sports in general that are just gone off the back of this and you, yeah and you talk about sponsorship how, you know what only knows if that funding's going to be there to carry on for the next you know when you're talking tv even, even a sport like formula 1 yeah, Formula yeah. One could disappear. We're talking about like the the small teams just not being able to go. So it's like yeah. okay, the Mercedes, Ferrari, and whoever else the big team yeah, is. It's like yeah, they're probably okay. But I mean, a race with six or eight cars, it's like well, it's not really going to be watched. That yeah. I know, I know. Yeah, and it's it's kind of interesting because you know the Formula One guys and the the MotoGP have been doing a lot of esports. Yeah, and there's a lot, of, and it's kind of you know it's interesting because you know esports are. There's some people pushing for that to become an Olympic, an Olympic sport, and kind of people like that will never happen. Yeah. But it's kind of interesting at the moment because esports is, uh, you know, there's the only way these, it's the only way, it's the only sport that's happening at the moment is esports. <laughs> and maybe um, UFC because 
Dana White's buying a private island. Buying an island. <laughs> <laughs> an island. I just read that before we came on that he bought a private island to fly the fire. And there is this big thing, you know, like, yeah, we talk about, you know, how, how's that going to look? You know, athletes flying, you know, tennis as well. You know, how are you going to, how are you going to get in a flight and fly to America and play in the US Open if, if you're not, if, you know, if, we're not allowed to fly there. You know, yeah. people. You know, people are saying, you know, Britain are maybe not handling this the same as other countries, and they might say, well, you're actually not allowed to fly here and, and compete. So, um, yeah, I, I the, you know, I obviously know there's a lot more to worry about than sport at the moment, but sports is a pretty powerful tool, and it does a lot of good for the world. And and I do worry about how what's it going to look like, and you know, back you know closer to home, a lot of the ski academies are going to struggle as well. You know, like the kids can't get out there, and you've got to pay for. You know all these people's jobs and coaches and accommodation and it's yeah and, and, and sponsorships as well because so many companies are gonna take a huge hit now. Yeah. Huge hit. It's gonna be like yeah. athletes for sure. Like you said yourself, Dave, that you've you've lost uh, sponsor commitment this year for sure. Um, athletes are gonna have to take sponsor cuts. Um, yeah. Everyone's gonna. Everyone's like. I mean, if we can stay as an athlete, that's good because so many people are losing jobs and livelihoods, and I'm worried, well, it is our livelihood as well, but yeah, yeah it's like... Uh, and then also with the TV stuff, you know, like, you know how, how does that look? I've got a few friends at work, as, as you will know, in, in media as well, and Ed, you do you know, media stuff, you know, that that's obviously not happening at the moment, so there'll be money drying up for there, and... It's, it's an incredible, it has a, a huge economical impact across across the board. Uh, you know, there's there's no, if there's no ski racing, well, you just see it from football, there's no football on the TV at the moment, and there's, there's you know, there's a lot of people lose out from that, and yeah, especially the, low, the lower league teams. Yeah. You hear the numbers, like, if they don't finish the Premier League, it's like 978 million or something, or 798 yeah. million that yeah, they lose. incredible. It's, it's nuts, yeah. It's, it's football, football's football, but it's still big figures, and it's gonna hurt football. Yeah, exactly. And I think you know that's that's that was one thing when they they couldn't cancel Tokyo. The, the billions they've spent there, and I think that the, the postponement was great. And and hopefully, if they're saying that'll be a coming together of the world again to bring the world together and use the power of sport to do that, but um, well, yeah, like you know, sports so power is so powerful, and whether you know. Yes, we're talking about bigger picture in terms of people's most most people's livelihoods are not involved in sport, so mm-hmm. there's bigger fish to fry. But sport brings so it, it's it's so powerful. You look at you know as a it's hard to put it into perspective just from winter, but if you look at something like football, you look when the World Cup was on, or you look when like Euro two thousand and eight. Like how happy the whole country is how much people are out chatting going to the bars just the good good vibes going on when there's a sporting event going on 2012 effect in britain when the olympics was on yeah that was insane mega and and like okay like it's not but like if you're in sport the knock-on effect the sport has on the general population like getting into sport which keeps people active which gets them out of going obesity there's so many knock-on effects of sport not happening as well and yeah it's just it's it's really interesting because i almost feel i don't i don't know this is a pun because i don't have any evidence on it but i, I actually almost feel that there's probably more people exercising now than there's ever exercised because we've been told you're not allowed yeah. to do something oh yeah when you're told you're not allowed to do something people want to do it yeah so all of a sudden you see these people going i've only got an hour of day exercise yeah 
I need to exercise, and I've never exercised before. And I, I was trying to, I was trying to meet him. He was a gym, you know, and he's really struggling because you know his membership's dropped. But he's like, you know, I really want to catch all these people that are creating these new habits. Yeah, they're going out. They're bought a set of dumbbells, and they're they're doing these online classes and stuff like that. And then all of a sudden, they come out the other end of this, and they're actually like, wow, I actually really enjoy this. Yeah, so, just don't go back to sitting on the sofa. Yeah, it's, almost like it's, it's the only thing they've got to do as well. Like, there's no shock, yeah. there's no push. <laughs> so the only thing you can do is like, like I was out for a jog this afternoon. I just did five k, and um, I was like, I've never seen like people like right this sense. around this canal path. It's like, where is everyone coming <laughs> from? It's like, yeah. But it's because they've not. There's no pub. Like normally they'd be like, oh, let's go down the pub and chat to our our mates uh, or whatever. I mean, obviously some like the vulnerable and and those the elderly they're probably not going out at all and mm. i couldn't imagine i've got a garden like i couldn't imagine living in a high-rise uh, block without a in garden. A oh, one bedroom yeah. flat in a city it'd be really tough yes so yeah. Tough. yeah and you know and i think we see you know you see these people in london coming out at weekends and going to the park and stuff and it's easy to judge and be like oh you know you, you shouldn't be doing that but I think if I was stuck in a one-bedroom flat all week and it's 22 degrees outside, yeah, a concrete jungle. in a concrete jungle, I'm going to want to go out. And, and, it's, and that's, that's the real hard thing we're dealing with. Um, but, you know, I, I always thought this through surgery as well, is that in, in positive psychology, there's something called post-traumatic growth. And also we, form, we focus a lot on PTSD and the stress, the trauma, and people going into a stress response. And, and we focus a lot on the negative because the psychology of the brain is negatively biased. But actually, there's a lot of growth from this. You know, a lot of people can change a lot of their habits and get, like, like Dave said, you see people out running that you never normally see. So, actually, there's a lot of growth that can come out of this. Okay, the economy is going to be hit hard, sports going to be hit hard, and, and that has a knock-on effect. But actually, as, as a human race, we can actually yeah. come out of this as a lot nicer society. And actually, people, a friend of mine said the other day, he was out walking his dog and everyone was speaking to him from a distance. They were shouting over saying, hey, how are you doing? Yeah. And he said, that's, that's never happened because people yeah. just want to interact. I had the same, same thing when I was out the other day. I was run, running along, I was cycling around and there's another, there's there loads of people coming past and it's like, you say hi and they're like, they're, they're, especially the older people, they're all like, hi, how are you doing? I mean, we're, yeah. all, we're a bit different anyway. We're always saying yeah. hello, but yeah, we're asked down yeah. south, Dave. It's a whole new yeah. world. Well, that's you know, like yeah. when you get we're, a northerner in London, you think there's something yeah. going wrong. Yeah, yeah. We know it. When people are speaking to you in London, then you're like, "Wow, my next door neighbor spoke to me." You know, finally found out his so, name after ten years. Yeah, <laughs> but you know what? It, it's yeah. The landscape of sport post this. I think sport's got a really important role to play after this. Yeah, I was part of a, an initiative called the European Week of Sport for the last few years, and and um, I was speaking to those guys at UK Active to well, this is going to be a big time for you because it's about getting these people active and, yeah. and you know that's in September so I could tie in very nicely for this big celebration of sport getting people out and getting them active and I think that's uh, it's something that the government really needs to strategically think about how, how do we use yeah. sport to get to get the country back together to get the world moving again because there's uh, you know just the economics of sport but the health benefits of it well and getting you know a lot of the young kids and that into it rather than into the wrong the wrong sort of crowds at school, you know, get getting to pick up sport and take up that. So sport is a really important role to play at the moment, and um, and yeah, the landscape of it in the future, I hope uh, it might, you know, it, it, you know, maybe maybe we won't see the big superstar wages and the big sponsorship deals, but we'll see money maybe getting spread more across the 
the, the development of it, and other yeah. sports benefiting from it. Who, who knows what's going to happen? Uh, going to be different, the, for sure. Yeah, the, the funding cycle runs out in March. You know, UK funding, that, that's up in March of 2021, so UK sport are going to have to speak to the government to see what, what that looks like. Yeah, because they might not be getting funded to the Olympics. Yeah. Yeah, because most sports have spent their budget. If you think, you know, with sports budget for four years, yeah. So a lot of the summer sports would have spent their budget into Tokyo and they might not have the money to go another year. That's very true. I not even thought of that either, Dave. Um, uh, Daves, two Daves, thank you very much. I think that's probably all we've got time for. Boys, thanks a lot for joining me. Uh, good luck, Dave Smith, hopefully. We're keeping everything crossed for you uh, for a year's time. And uh, Dave, keep lifting, keep picking up that heavy stuff and putting it down gently in your garage. Don't want that falling on your head. Um, so uh, thank you guys and we'll see you again soon cheers guys cheers